0: listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit Brockportfirstbaptist.org. The scripture lesson today is Job chapter 38 verses 1 through 21 and 31 through 38. I was asked to read this with a little bit of parental attitude. (laughs) Which, if you know me, it's not a problem. (laughs) Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you, and you shall declare to me where were you when i laid the foundation of the earth tell me if you have understanding who determined its measurements surely you know or who stretched the line upon it on what were its bases sunk or who laid the cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed bounds for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far you shall come and no farther and here shall your proud waves be stopped. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place so that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal, and it is dyed like a garment. Light is withheld from the wicked, and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light? And where is the place of darkness, that you may take it to its territory and that you may discern the paths to its home? Surely you know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. And 31 through 38. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loosen the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Maseroth in their season or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of heaven of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings so that they may go and say to you, Here we are. Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who has the wisdom to number the clouds? Or who can tilt the waterskins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and the clods cling together? The word of God for the people of God.
1: Thanks be to God. And thank you, Lori, for that reading with attitude. That was awesome. And happy Mother's Day as well. Oh man. You gotta have attitude, absolutely. especially Especially when you're reading God's part, you know? <clears throat> So um, I do want to say before we get started uh, that in addition to being Mother's Day, today is also my mom's birthday, um, which made it really easy to remember when her birthday was coming, you know, like growing up. <clears throat> um, so to my mom, uh, who watches our church services online every Sunday because she loves me, um, I just want to say happy Mother's Day, uh, Mom, and happy birthday. I love you, uh, and I am very glad you were born. <laughs> Not, no selfish reasons there at all. <clears throat> So, um, we're still in the book of Job, um, and we are getting toward the end, though. Uh, We only have a couple more weeks left in Job, and today uh, we're going to talk about God's response to Job from the whirlwind. Before we get too deep in this, though, I feel like I need to set a couple expectations right up front. Um, A lot of people, most people, in fact, I would I would guess, come to the book of Job looking for answers. Usually, we want we want an answer to the question, Why do we suffer? Why does God allow suffering to happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why is it that you can do everything right, you can play by the rules, follow Jesus, say your prayers, but still it can all blow up in your face? And I need to let you all know right up front, God does not answer any of those questions in God's response to Job. God doesn't tell Job why there's suffering in the world. God doesn't tell Job why God permits suffering. God doesn't even tell Job why he's suffering. We know more about Job's suffering than Job ever does. There is never a point in this exchange where God is like, so, so here's the deal, Job. Um, I was bragging about you to some of my friends uh, when Satan showed up and we made a bet. Like, none of that. Job never finds out why. He never gets an answer to the question, why are we suffering? But that's not what Job is looking for. Way back in chapters 29 uh, to 31, we get this final speech from Job. It's basically his closing argument. He's been going back and forth with his friends uh, who keep accusing him, telling him that all these terrible things that happen to him have to be his fault. And in Job's closing argument, he just unleashes. And Job goes through this whole litany, this list of crimes that he's innocent of, stuff he didn't do. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit from Job 31. This is not going to be on the screen. If you want, you can follow along uh, page 414 of your pew Bibles. Uh, I'm just going to kind of jump around, though, and and hit some of the highlights. Uh, But this is is, uh, verse 1 of Job 31. If I have made a covenant with my eyes, how then could I look upon a virgin? Job's innocent of lust. Verse five, if I have walked with falsehood and my foot has hurried to deceit. Verse nine, if my heart has been enticed by a woman and I have lain in wait at my neighbor's door. If I have rejected the cause of my male or female servants, if I have withheld anything that the poor desired, if I have seen anyone perish for lack of clothing, if I have raised my hand against the orphan, if I have made gold my trust or called fine gold my inheritance, if I have rejoiced at the ruin of those who hated me. It keeps going. Job goes through all these crimes, all these charges, and he's like, I haven't done any of it. I'm innocent. And then in verse 35, we get this line, which this one is on the the slides. Oh, that I had one to hear me. Here is my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. It takes some guts, I gotta say. But we need to understand, Job is not asking for an explanation for why we suffer. He doesn't want some abstract argument or a line of reasoning. Job is asking God to defend him, to vindicate him. Job wants to take God to court, essentially, so that God can offer a defense. It's like, it's like the weirdest episode of Law and Order, basically. We have all this legal language here, all these crimes. Job basically wants to subpoena God so that God can come to his defense. Remember, at this point of the story, um, Job thinks God is either wicked um, or incompetent. God is either evil, uh, he delights in torturing us, or God doesn't know what he's doing. Because clearly, if God knew how to run the world, righteous people like Job wouldn't suffer. So Job wants God to offer a defense. He's calling God to confirm once and for all that Job's not crazy that he really is righteous. He really hasn't done anything wrong. God, I need you to show up and put these friends of mine in their place because they think this is all my fault. And in Job chapter 38, God shows up. But be careful what you wish for. God takes the form of a whirlwind. Um, think like a, a tornado combined with a sandstorm. would have been a terrifying sight for Job and his friends. Um, God comes in the whirlwind and addresses Job directly. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man. By the way, I am so happy we had a woman read that line today. <laughs> uh, um, from God, it's a little cringy. From Laurie Steenson, though, it kind of fits. Like, I I like it. I like it a lot better that way. Um, Man, there's two major parts to God's response to Job. It's like two speeches. They both actually open up with the same kind of language about girding up your loins. Um, We can label the first part of God's response, where were you? God just comes in with this onslaught of questions for Job. Job had this onslaught of charges. God has an onslaught of questions. Um, And this was our scripture reading for today, which Lori read for us with attitude. It was also reflected in that song uh, that Dick sang for us. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who determines its measurements? Surely you know. This goes on for some time. Did you set the bounds of the sea? Did you form the clouds in the sky? Did you command the morning and the dawn? Are you the one who sends floods on the earth? Did you make the constellations, Pleiades, Orion? Was that you? Surely you know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. I love this, you guys. This totally has the vibe of a dad being like, do you pay the bills around here? Do you put a roof over our head? Do you go 40 plus hours a week to a job you hate, right? Like, I'm having flashbacks. By the way, I'm sorry, Dad, uh, for all of that. But like, seriously, serious angry parent energy. Um, and we, we really only got a sample. This, this goes on and on uh, for multiple chapters. Uh, I'm just gonna read a few, some sections that, that Lori's uh, reading didn't cover from chapter 39 do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the cavilling of the deer? Can you number the months that they fulfill, and do you know the time when they give birth? Who has let the wild ass go free? Who has loosed the bonds of the swift ass? I just like saying ass in church, you guys. Um, <laughs> who has loosed the bonds of the swift ass to which I have given the steep for its home? Is the wild ox willing to serve you? Will it spend the night at your crib? Can you tie it down in the furrow with ropes, or will it harrow the valleys after you? Will you depend on it because of its strength is great, and will you hand over your labor to it? Do you have faith in it that it will return and bring your grain to your threshing floor? A couple of thoughts here, because this is amazing. The big message here, like the big takeaway, the theme, is, "I'm God, you're not." Right? That's the point of all these questions. God is humbling Job. He's taking Job down a couple of pegs. You're going to subpoena me? That's not how this works. So God puts Job in his place very much in this passage. What's that quote from Matilda? You guys remember the movie Matilda um, with Danny DeVito? There's that, there's that line, um, I'm big, you're little, I'm smart, you're dumb, I'm right, you're wrong. When it's, when it's Danny DeVito saying it to a little girl, it's ridiculous, um, but when it's God saying it to us, we have a Matilda picture. Next slide, I think, uh, maybe one more. There we go, yeah, you guys remember this scene? <laughs> I'm smart, you're dumb, I'm big, you're little, again, Danny DeVito, ridiculous. God to us, though, it kind of works. It kind of makes sense. It feels right. I think we can definitely read this passage as maybe a little overly defensive, Um, but there's at least two pieces of grace that I take from this response. For one, it reveals a level of intimacy between God and Job. Um, Job gave it to God pretty hard. I mean, for many chapters, Job is calling out God, calling God to give a defense, and when God shows up, God gives it right back to Job. Um, I think of God and Job almost like uh, two retired war buddies, right? Like a couple of old friends nearing the the twilight of their lives who still bust on each other, you know? Um, What's new, you old moron? Not not much, you old dummy. Right like that. That that is sort of the vibe of God and Job. It's like those two old guys from the Muppets. Do you guys you guys remember <laughs> the two old dudes who sat who sat up there? Um, it's that's 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 God and Job. It's not the best metaphor. I'm going to own that. Um, but it <laughs> but it reflects a level of closeness between God and Job. It's a, it's a level of intimacy that I think few of us experience we're Westerners. Our, our view of God is shaped by, by modern culture, Greek philosophy, the Enlightenment. We think of God as this impersonal force that kind of directs the world from a distance, right? God is far away, way bigger than us, way too big for us to ever really relate to or connect with. We don't argue with God. We don't fight with God. We don't trade insults with God, and yet, That is the model we see over and over again in the Bible. Moses had this kind of relationship with God. Abraham had this kind of relationship with God. David, half the Psalms are this kind of vibe between the psalmist and God. The heroes of the Bible relate to God like a friend, a companion, someone to argue with, engage with, and occasionally throw it down and fight. Do you guys remember the story of Jacob from, like, Sunday school class when Jacob wrestled with God? You know that one? Um, If you don't, I'll I'll fill in the details. Jacob is a jerk. Uh, He's one of the biggest jerks in the Bible. Uh, He's a con man, screws over just about everyone in his life. Uh, He cons his brother out of his inheritance. He tricks his blind father. He cons his father-in-law. He marries two sisters and sets them against each other. He plays favorites with his kids. Jacob's a jerk. And when it finally takes, one night God shows up and beats him up. God comes to Jacob in the middle of the night, and they get into a fight. They get into a wrestling match. And after this experience, Jacob is nicknamed Israel, which means God wrestler. Israel, the one who wrestles with God. Which means that Jacob's descendants, God's people, the Israelites, are a people who wrestle with God. That's what their name means. As Christians, we struggle a lot with the God of the Old Testament. Um, He's way too emotional for us. Too violent, um, too human, really. The God of the Old Testament gets angry, jealous, upset, uh, passionate. Occasionally, he forgets things and has to be reminded Sometimes God shows up in the middle middle of the night to to put us in a headlock, but the God of the Old Testament can also take a punch. He invites us to wrestle with him, fight it out, go toe-to-toe if we have to. That's the level of closeness, the level of intimacy between Job and God, and I think it's a level of intimacy God wants with all of us. God became a human being on purpose. He actually entered into this to dwell with us, to get to know us, cut through all the the crap and the the things we put up to keep others away because he wants a relationship with us. That's the first bit of grace I see in God's response. The second, though, is that God's inviting Job to trust him. I'm God, you're not. So let me handle this. You don't have to prove anything to your friends. You don't have to defend yourself. Do, do you worry about sending rain on the earth? Putting stars in the sky, showing mountain goats where to give birth? No, that's, that's my domain. Trust me with this. I can handle this. We can get through this together. I'm with you. You guys, I'm God, you're not, is incredible news, at least from where I'm standing. It means we don't have to bear the weight of the world. We don't have to fix everybody's problem. We don't even ultimately have to fix our own problems. All we have to do is trust. This one's difficult for me because I struggle to trust God. Uh, I'm a planner. I always have a plan A, a plan B, and at least two or three backup plans. Uh, (laughs) And about half the time, if I'm honest, I forget to check in with God and see if God's got a plan. It causes a lot of um, stress and anxiety, all this effort to kind of micromanage the world around me, when the truth is I am not in control at all, and I don't have to be. All I'm called to do is trust All you're called to do is trust. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? I could handle that. Trust me with this. That's grace. That's the first half of God's response to Job, Um, the first part. The second part of God's response gets really weird. Uh, We haven't tapped into any of this yet, but we're going to label this one Behemoth and Leviathan. Get ready, guys. Um, This is from Job chapter 40. Look at Behemoth, which I made just as I made you. It eats grass like an ox, its strength is in its loins, and its power in the muscles of its belly. It makes its tail stiff like a cedar, the sinews of its thighs are knit together, its bones are tubes of bronze, its limbs like bars of iron. Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook? Or press down its tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in its nose or pierce its jaw with a hook? Will it make many supplications to you? Will it speak soft words to you? Will it make a covenant with you to be taken as your servant forever? Will you play with it as with a bird? Or put it on a leash for your young women? A uh, what? <laughs> this is one of those parts of the Bible you read and you're like, I think, I think something's missed in the translation here because I'm, I'm missing it. Um, this part's strange, but there's wisdom in God's second speech to Job that is insanely beautiful uh, if we can receive it. And let's start with Behemoth and Leviathan, who, as you can see, are not beautiful. Um, there's all sorts of theories out there for what Behemoth and Leviathan are a reference to. Uh, some people think it was the dinosaurs, right? That's, that's one theory out there. Um, some people believe it's aliens. Uh, one popular theory is that God is talking about a hippopotamus and a crocodile. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say I don't think any of those are it. Um, And we actually know a lot today about Behemoth and Leviathan, what God is talking about here, because we've found other texts from this culture and this time that talk about Behemoth and Leviathan. They are mythological chaos monsters. Behemoth and Leviathan were the nightmare fuel of the ancient world. Behemoth represents chaos on land. Um, Any kind of unstoppable force, an invading army, might be a manifestation of Behemoth, a swarm of locusts, uh, natural disasters, that's Behemoth. And then Leviathan represents chaos in the sea Uh, sea monsters, dragons, uh, Moby Dick. (laughs) Um, Today, we might say an aircraft carrier or pirates. Loch Ness Monster, yeah, Nessie, there you go. A lot of scary stuff comes out of the water. God points to these big, scary monsters of ancient lore and talks about them like pets. Behemoth? He's my lap dog. Leviathan, I got a whole fish tank full of Leviathans. It would be like, like, like a modern version, Nessie was a good one, but like, I thought of like Frankenstein and Dracula, you know, like, like Frankenstein. I remember when he was just a baby. I, I taught him that walk he does, right? Uh, uh, Dracula. Oh, I could tell you stories about Dracula. I remember when he was teething. It was adorable. Like, <laughs> that, that's, that's the vibe of this. The first implication of this section is that God is bigger and stronger than the scary monsters of our world. With God on our side, we have nothing to fear. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're facing, uh, maybe you've got a big project at work that's causing a lot of stress, uh, or you had a falling out with a close friend. Maybe there is some tension in your marriage or your family, um, or you've just got a really bad diagnosis from the doctor. This stuff is real, it's scary, and it is really dangerous. But God is way bigger than these monsters. Amen. With God in our corner, we can face it. Nothing is too big or too scary for God. There's another side of this, another piece of grace that goes even deeper. And it's the reality that everything belongs. Everything has a place. Even the scary stuff. This is the the wisdom of Ecclesiastes, Uh, for everything there is a season. We like to say that poem, but we don't really think of the implications of the word everything. For everything there is a season. Life and death, tears and joy. You don't get light without darkness. You don't get good without bad. It's all part of it. Everything has a place because everything belongs. I'm going to confess here, too, this one is really hard for me. Uh, When I hear the phrase, everything belongs, I jump right to the specifics. All the stuff I can think about that doesn't belong. All the terrible things that's happened to people I know, terrible things I've seen that I'm like, that can't have a place. That can't belong, that abuse, that pain. That's not okay. Okay. And where I've landed so far uh, wrestling with this for a number of months now is that it isn't okay It's not okay But it belongs It can be incorporated it can be redeemed and made new I have a friend in California um, who was sexually abused as a child That is a trauma that she has to deal with every day um, and it's not okay. No part of that is okay. But in addition to a lot of therapy, a lot of inner work, a lot of boundary setting, this friend of mine also started a nonprofit that helps victims of sexual violence. That's how she found a place for this part of her life, this part of her story. Uh, I have another friend who, when they were in their freshman year of college, they had a close family member pass away from cancer. And so they changed their major to medical science and now they work in a lab developing cures and medicines and treatments for various cancers. I know a couple that wanted so badly to have a child, but they never did. They weren't able to. And so they opened their home and became foster parents and mentors impacting dozens of children. When I look back, the people I know who have worked through their suffering and trauma to arrive in a a healthy place have done it by finding a place for it, finding a way to incorporate it in their story and move forward. It doesn't make any of the suffering okay. It doesn't mean that Behemoth and Leviathan aren't dangerous. They're terrifying. But when you go through suffering, It is a reminder there's nothing wrong with you. This isn't an aberration. You didn't screw something up. This is just a part of life. It sucks. It's not good. But you don't get anywhere ignoring it, repressing it, avoiding it, pretending it didn't happen. You've got to find a place for it because everything belongs. One last piece in God's response to Job. And I know we're covering a lot of ground today. We're under a bit of a deadline, you know. <clears throat> I would assume that with all of this, in God's response to Job, that God would just, like, like pull an Obama, just drop the mic and walk away. Like, that's, that's what I would expect. Remember, remember, anyone remember that? It was a, No, no, just me. It's fine. Um, but drop the mic and walk away. That's what I would expect. Leave Job to just reflect on all this stuff God just dropped on him, but that's not how it ends. There's one more piece to God's response that I've got to read, and this is addressed to Job's friends. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Tamanite, my wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now, therefore, take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Remember, these are the three guys who are accusing Job for the whole book. And what did Job want from God? What was Job's request? Defense. Defend me against these guys who are gaslighting me, who are telling me that all of this is my fault. God comes in the whirlwind and God delivers. You have not spoken of me what is true as my servant Job has. God is our defender. God is our vindicator. God is our protector. That's why I think mother can be such a good metaphor for God. God wants intimacy with us. God invites us to wrestle with God, to trust God, because God is bigger than all the monsters. And with God's help, we can receive the wisdom that everything belongs, everything has a place, good or bad, with God's help, We can find a place for it. Let's pray. God, thank you for defending us like a mother, for coming to our aid when our own plans fail and we find ourselves even out of sync with you. Help us to know you like Job did. To find a level of intimacy and closeness that goes beyond our wildest dreams. Help us to trust you with the scary stuff, Lord. And to hold fast to the wisdom that everything belongs. In your name we pray.
0: Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook, at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter, at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.